Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for joining us online. Hey, before we get into the series, just a quick uh, commercial from recap from last week. How many of you guys got to be here last week and see all those baptisms? Come on. Like it was something fierce, man. And uh, we just got to see 15 people get baptized uh, and really got to see just the generational multiplication of that's happening in our church because we had, you know, adults that poured into students, students that poured into kids and kids that got baptized and it's just going to start all over again. It's just how the kingdom keeps moving. And so, and we had just kind of a call out for us to keep that momentum that we needed uh, some folks to step in and to volunteer and to serve in our now gen ministries. And so uh, we called out, we said we needed 70 people to serve in our student ministry and our kids ministry. And we had 65 people set up. Come on. Which means five of you are disobeying the Lord. So uh, <laughs> you'll notice in your, in your seat, <clears throat> there's a card that will just, you can, there's two cards, one to take notes on and one also that you can uh, just uh, volunteer to serve. And you're just, if you fill out that card, you're just, you're just asking to have a conversation, right? We're not going to take your firstborn unless you need us to, or like or your right arm or anything like that. It's just saying, I want to have a conversation, explore what it means. What does this look like? Um, what's the commitment look like? What kind of impact are we going to have? And we'd love for you to do that so that we can just continue to, especially as we launch in the fall and the school starts back and all the things begin to get back. So if you would just fill out that card, you can place it in the boxes as you exit. Today, there's little brown boxes you can place uh, that in. Hey, we are launching this new series called Brick Layers. Let me hear you say Brick Layers. Brick Layers. Yeah, we, uh, most of us have built something in our life. Like how many of you used to build that fort inside your house where you use sheets and blankets and you would build it in your room and pretend that you just kind of were having a, an indoor camp out and, uh, and inevitably your brother or sister would come in and tear it down? And they were, my sister used to do that to me all the time. And she was actually here in the first service and I told on her and she never gets to come to our church. Now she's not coming back. But um, man, we used to do that. How many of you ever built anything with Legos? Love some Legos? I can build things with Legos as long as it requires one Lego. That's about it. Um, but we, we built, we grow up building things, Legos. And then eventually we start building bigger things in life. You know, some of you have built a marriage or maybe you've built a relationship or maybe you've built a career, um, or maybe you've built a, a home, or maybe you've even built a car. You know, maybe you've like literally built something. And what we know when you build something, inevitably, it, it, it deteriorates, doesn't it? That's why HGTV has, is in business, because everything just begins to erode. It begins to go away, especially if you don't pay attention to it. And things begin to dilapidate, they begin to deteriorate, and they need rebuilding. And listen, I want to tell you something. This series is about God is in the rebuilding kind of business. Amen? Like God is in the restoring business. God is in the renewing business. And as we look at this, this series called Bricklayers, we're going to look at it from the perspective of a man named Nehemiah. You know, Nehemiah was a, is a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. Nehemiah comes in and he builds a wall, the wall around Jerusalem. And I'll explain a little bit more about the importance of that. He rebuilds the wall around Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is a case study in leadership. You know, if Nehemiah were around today, his strategic thinking, his wisdom, it would be the topic of Harvard Business Review articles. You know, he would have, you know, probably 100 million views on his TED Talk because he was that level of leader. And we see him begin to rebuild this wall. You see, Nehemiah, he was, he was clear. He was clear on his vision. Man, he, he was committed to the mission. 
And he was concerned with the brokenness he saw, not just in the wall, but in people around him. And there's this one phrase, this one thing that Nehemiah says in his memoir that kind of captures the whole book of Nehemiah that we'll talk about over and over and over again. As Nehemiah is on the wall and he's rebuilding the wall, some enemies come and they want to distract him. Anybody ever feel distracted today? And they want to discourage him from doing the great work that he's doing. And Nehemiah says this. He says, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Doing a great work can't come down. So let me ask you this question. What great work are you doing? Like what, what great work is so important that you're so clear, you are so compelled by concerning other people? Like what great work are you doing that you can't be distracted, that you can't come down? Are you doing the great work of building your career, building your retirement? Are you doing the great work of building into people? Like this is the story of Nehemiah and we're going to learn some lessons for him as he goes by. And I believe that, man, throughout this series, our hope, and I believe what God's going to do, he's going to awaken some things in us that maybe have gone dormant. He's going to stir up some passions in us that maybe we forgot about, or maybe we just kind of pushed to the side in our busyness. And then we're going to be transformed and we're going to be changed throughout the series. Listen, if you don't want to be changed, don't come back. Nobody ever laughs at that. I feel like that's funny. But if you don't want to be changed, you should want to be changed. Because God, here's what I believe about everybody in the room. Here's what I know based on personal experience, but also on God's word, that God has a plan for everybody. God has an expectation for everybody. God has marked out your life in such a way that you can have not just temporary impact, but eternal impact in the lives of other people. And he's got it for you as individuals, but more importantly, he's got it for us, his bride, the church. And as we enter into this season of the fall, as we get back and as we do some things, and I know there's lots swirling around in the news media, but let's don't let us distract us from what is really the priority of our lives, and that's bringing glory to God. Amen, somebody? Come on. So we're going to, let's get after it. Let's jump into the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. What great work are you doing? And um, I'm just going to read the first few verses, then I need to give some context about what's happening in, in this particular memoir that Nehemiah wrote about his life. So Nehemiah chapter 1, the words will also be on the screen. Grab your phone, you look at the Bible app. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, he means spiritual brothers. What he means is because he's Jewish, Hanani was Jewish. So he's come with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem, like the place of worship. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So what has happened is that God's people, the nation of Israel that God selected out and chose to for himself so that they would bring the blessing, the message of the glory of God to the world. And so what they did was they did that for a time period, but then they rebelled. They got off track. They began to worship other gods. They began to not follow the commands that God had given them. So God punishes them. And the way that God punishes them is that the nation of Babylon, they come in and they take over the, that whole region of the world. Like anytime you see Babylon in the Bible, it is bad. It's bad. It's dark. It's evil. It's bad. So Babylon comes. They destroy the wall around Jerusalem. They destroy the temple, like everything that they would have identified with. 
everything that they would have called home. They destroyed it. And then they chained all the Jews together and they marched them into exile all over the region into different cities and different places. But then eventually there came a leader who allowed them to at least go back home. And so there was a remnant, a handful of people that had remembered what it was like, that knew God's words, and they make their way back to Jerusalem. And this is who Nehemiah is asking about. And the walls around Jerusalem were actually more important than the army because they are what protected people. They protected them from other armies that may come in to invade them, protect them from wild animals that could come in and just tear them apart. And it gave them this sense of comfort and peace. See, without the walls, they were at risk. And while we may not have physical walls that cause us to be at risk when they're broken down, we have spiritual walls. And what happens is that for people like me and you, we, we don't recognize people who are at risk. And as we look around in our culture today, people are at risk for so many things. You know, we have a generation of students who are at risk for suicide. Like, like I think most of us in the room, too many of us in the room, know a, know a student that took their own life and we had no idea that they were at risk. And we know people who are at risk for their marriage going down the tubes or being consumed by anxiety. People are at risk of winning at the wrong game. Thinking success in the exterior is actually going to bring them the life that they're looking for. They are at risk. And we need to be a people that recognizes that other people are at risk. You know, when you think about a brick and you think about rebuilding, just kidding. Um, you know, one brick can hit somebody in the face and hurt them. It could be a paperweight. It could be a doorstop. Many of us have that at home, right? And so one brick by itself doesn't do a lot. But you, you begin to build with bricks stronger. You build a house with bricks, your insurance goes up because it's worth more. And we know that building with bricks, when, when, when more than one brick is put together, it builds something that can protect, can provide peace in, the, in people's lives. And so what God wants to do is rebuild. And he wants to rebuild it one life at a time, one prayer at a time, one dollar at a time, one relationship at a time, one conversation at a time with people like me and people like you. You see, you see when God, what he's going to do, he's going to use a remnant, a church to rebuild a movement brick by brick, person by person. You can put an amen right there. Come on. This is what God is up to. And this is, we, we can't be, feel like we're immune to where people are at risk. Now watch what happens next. In, in verse four, it says, as soon as Nehemiah heard these words, he sat down and wept and mourned for days. And he continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I mean, the first thing that happens, he just gets sad. He gets broken. Now, now he, he, here's who, this is Nehemiah's job. Nehemiah is cupbearer to the king. Now, now, what that means is Nehemiah is a slave and Nehemiah is in charge of tasting the king's food and the king's wine before the king does. And he's not doing a taste test. <laughs> Nehemiah is tasting it just to see if there's going to be poison in it. So if I'm Nehemiah, what I've done 
is I have, man, I have gotten in the kitchen and figured out who's cooking the food. And I want to be sure they're on my team. I'm building an infrastructure to keep me safe so I can keep the king safe. I've gotten with the farmers and the growers so that when food comes in, I know that, that I trust them and I've insulated myself from danger. And this is if I'm Nehemiah. And Nehemiah could have done this because it says he was in the citadel in Susa where he would have been insulated. He didn't have to care about what was happening in Jerusalem. What wasn't, wasn't his problem? And if we're not careful, we can insulate ourselves from people's problems. Amen? Like, like there are times that, especially if you live in this area, when houses are so nice and yards are so manicured and housing prices are so low. And, you're welcome. And cars are so nice. And people look like we have it all together and that their families are whole and healthy and that there's no conflict in them. We can be lulled to sleep and to thinking that, man, people aren't at risk. They don't have problems. And what Nehemiah knew is that rebuilding, rebuilding, rebuilding broken walls starts with a broken heart. Rebuilding broken walls starts with a broken heart. And it starts with a broken heart for the problems that people are facing you know, there's so much brokenness and, and how many times have I heard this that someone will come in and tell me of a problem or a struggle that they're having. They'll be like, I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only one. And that story happens over and over and over again. And while it looks like perfect on the outside, there's problems on the inside. And Nehemiah knows that he'll never be able to move forward until, until his heart is broken for the things that God's heart breaks for. It reminds me a little bit of Popeye. You guys remember Popeye? The little Popeye fans. Remember Popeye the sailor man? That dude's ugly. Can I just say that? But he's strong, right? He could beat me up, I'm certain. But yeah, Popeye the sailor man. Now, now Popeye, if you think about it, just kind of nondescript, kind of didn't really do anything, didn't really, wasn't really about any real, really important business. But he had this girlfriend named Olive Oil. You remember Olive Oil? Supermodel, right? I know I'm gonna get an email on that one, but um, so Popeye will come to life whenever olive oil was in trouble. Like whenever something were to happen, he would spring to action. And what would he say? That's all I can stands, can't stands no more. And he would gulp down that spinach, and his forearms would bust out like basketballs, and he'd go to work on somebody. You know, and there comes a point in our life, man, there's something that we can't stand no more. There's something that it's going to break our heart. There's something that, man, that's all we can stand. We can't stand no more. And Nehemiah found his breaking point and God did this work in his heart. You see, God's got to do something in you before God can do something through you. God's got to do something in your heart to break your heart before he's going to actually do something that's going to have lasting value and build a life that matters. Man, man, I got to ask you the question, like, what does your heart break for? Like, what does your heart break for? Do you know what your heart breaks for? Sometimes we don't know what our heart breaks for because we just aren't paying attention. We haven't asked the question. The reason Nehemiah's heart broke was because he asked the question, hey, how are my friends back in Jerusalem? How's the family back in Jerusalem? He didn't have to worry about that. That wasn't his responsibility. Yet he asked the question. And sometimes what needs to happen for us is, man, we need to begin to expose ourselves to some brokenness in people's lives. Sometimes we can just go through just kind of the nice conversations. It's all superficial chit chat. And everybody says, I don't like, I don't like chit chat. But you do because that's all you have. 
Come on at somebody, right? We, we all do that. And then, and so how do you actually have a conversation with someone where you actually find out a little bit more about their life? You know, one, one guy told me this, you should ask somebody, how are you doing? And then after you ask them, you say, how are you doing? Really? I'm like, what, are you a counselor or something? Don't ask me, really? That feels like I'm on the couch and you're about to try to diagnose me. Um, find out about my life just a little bit. Have you ever had this experience? You, t- you ask somebody, how are you doing? And they actually tell you. And you're like, I was just trying to be polite. <laughs> I ain't got time. <laughs> I'm busy. Right, but we have to make time. We have to expose ourselves to some brokenness. How do you know if poverty breaks your heart? You expose yourself to poverty. How can you say that, you know, someone who's struggling with addiction doesn't affect you, that doesn't break your heart, if you haven't been around someone who's struggling with addiction? And so we need to be able to expose ourselves to things that would break a heart and the same things that break God's heart. Like, hey, what does your heart break for? If you don't know the answer to that question, it's a great place to start as you learn to understand more about what God has for you. Man, the thing that breaks my heart the most is for people to not think they have a place. Like I can remember growing up, I can remember certain times in my life that I felt like an outcast. I didn't feel like I fit in. And I read there's some stories in the Bible where Jesus speaks to this. Listen, Jesus always, always, always had a place for somebody. Now, now the place may not have been where they were. It was where he was going to get them to go. Didn't mean he just allowed them to wallow in pathetic, destructive behavior. He moved them to the place they had to go. That's why we say around here, part of the Stone Creek way is that everybody has a place. And you got a place. Man, we always want to be friendly. Why? Man, so people will know that they have a place, that they're expected. Most of you have found this place and showed up to be friendly. Amen? Right? You met some people that you know. That's why. Man, that's what my heart breaks for. Because I believe there's greatness in you that God wants to unleash on the world. And then we want this to be a place where that can happen. Nehemiah. So, so we see the next thing that he does. You know, it says he wept and mourned for days. His heart was broken. It says he fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah knew that he was powerless without the presence of God. Nehemiah knew that he was powerless without the presence of God. And we are powerless to rebuild anything without the presence of God in our lives. You know, in verse 4, when he says that I, I, I fasted and I prayed, I just want to unpack a little bit about prayer, a little bit of discipling. This is some really practical tips that we can take home. Man, I, I believe that we see, what we see in Nehemiah's life is that heavy lifting influence the kind of heavy lifting influence that we all want starts, man, it starts with soul shifting prayer. Like this is where God's going to do some work in your soul. Man, he's going to take your soul, turn it upside down. He's going to make it more receptive to the pain of people. He's going to give you the sixth sense to be able to step into problems where you can help solve them. It's going to all start in prayer. You know, in, the, in verse five, Nehemiah starts out by saying, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And the first thing we see Nehemiah do is to acknowledge the goodness and the greatness of God. Amen? Like this is the first thing that he does. And it needs to be how we start every single day. When we wake up, we should start out by telling God how great he is. Listen, God is the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the creator of all things that have ever been created. He is the giver of life. He breathes breath into our lungs and purpose into our hearts. Listen, this is the God that we serve. Our purpose is not about us, it's about him. And so many times we run through looking for our our life to find purpose when we just have to look up. And we just have to look up. And if we're doing that, God's gonna fill us with purpose to bring him glory. 
You know, a lot of times we can kind of go through life thinking that I just got to get something practical, right? I need some practical tips from God. God needs to come, you know, give me a practical answer. And certainly God is very practical, but God can be very impractical too. Amen. Like there are times when things God says to do and the way that God leads us is a very large mystery, but it's not to him, even though it is to us. Listen, God, 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 the greatness of God is fuel for the grind and it's fuel for your life. And only when we begin to acknowledge how great he is and tell him how great he is, and we look out the front door every day and we see the sun coming up, we say, you did that, God. I can't do that. (laughs) You did that. Man, when we look out and we see rain and lightning and clouds and birds and animals, when we see our children, God, you did that. And you need to take them back right now. (laughs) God did that. Man, God created them. God gave them life. God is God. And this is where Nehemiah started. And the next thing we see in verse 6 and then also down in verse 11, Nehemiah, as he begins to ask God, he says in verse 6, he says, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel and your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. He goes on down in verse 11 and continues to ask. He says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He was going to the king. So he said, hey, help me win today and help me have success. So we see him ask God a couple of things. The first thing he asks God is, hey, God, hear me today. Are you listening to me today? Now, he's not getting God's attention. He's already got God's attention. But when you ask God to hear you, you're reminding yourself that God hears you. Amen? You're reminding that God's paying attention, that God delights in the details of our lives is what the psalmist writes. So we're saying, hear me, God. And then he says this, help me. Then we're, most of us are pretty good at this part, aren't we? <laughs> help me, God. But he's got a very specific ask. He's like, God, I've got to do something for these people. Help me to win today in the sight of this man. And then the next thing that he prays in kind of the end of verse six on end of verse seven, he says, uh, hear the prayer of your servant, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted corruptly against you and have not taken, we have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. So what, what Nehemiah does is accept responsibility for something it doesn't seem like he did. He is in the king's palace doing the king's work where God has put him, and he's saying, yeah, I sinned. We have sinned. Like if I'm Nehemiah, I'm like, God, those people broke your laws. You should help them. God, God, do you know what they did? Stupid hurts, and they're paying the price for that. And so many times what can happen is we live that way and we kind of look over the shoulder and we say things like, yeah, I know I did, but. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and you go and you begin to talk to them maybe about something they did wrong and they begin to point out all that you did wrong and it just completely negates what they did wrong? And there's no room in God to, in, in our, for God to transform our hearts until we take responsibility for the things that we've done. And Nehemiah just puts himself right in the category with everybody else who has caused the walls to be broken down and God shows up. Hey, hey we should t- accept responsibility at times. You know, too many times when it comes to helping people with problems, we'll say, I wonder what bad decision they made. 
And I wonder where they lacked self-discipline. I wonder where they didn't have self-control. I wonder where they were selfish. And the reality is God's not asking us to diagnose that. He's asking us to help solve the problem. And if we'll just take responsibility to do that, then God's going to do some rebuilding that will be life-changing. And then kind of the last piece of the puzzle for him is he prays, he prays in verse 8 and verse 10. He says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and you keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They're your servants, they're your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. So what Nehemiah is praying is just like, God, hey, remember your promises today. Remind yourself of God's promises today. You know, I don't think that God needs to be reminded of his promises, but I think we do. Do you know the promises of God for your life? He'll never leave you or forsake you. What the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. He calls you a friend and a brother, that he's gone to prepare a place for you in heaven. Like there are these promises that we have that we're forgiven and God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west, that our middle name isn't failure, but loved. Like there are some promises that God has made us. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves of these promises because guess who's not reminding us? Satan, the world, right? Sometimes other people aren't reminding us of God's promises. And we need to remind ourselves in prayer that God's gonna come through. And this is what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah knew he was powerless without the presence of God. Now, he, did, he also, it says he, pray, he prayed and fasted. A lot of times we skip over the fasted part. Somehow we think that it's all together. Now, now, I don't, now you may know this, but fasting is doing without something that you normally would, would do. And I don't know about you, but I'm a lot better at indulging than I'm at fasting, amen? Like I'm, I'm a lot better at going all in and consuming than I am going without. And that's just, my, that's just the way most of us are made. But just a little bit around fasting so you can understand the power it has for God to do a work in your life. You know, fasting, we all have certain appetites that God's given us. We have appetites for food. We have appetites for sex. We have appetites for drinking. We have appetites for, you know, purpose. We have appetites to work. And what happens is sometimes those appetites can get out of control. And so we may abstain from one of those appetites so that indirectly it's going to help us in all of the other areas of our life. So that's what fasting does. Now in the Bible, what we see is a certain type of fasting. And some of you, have, heard, have you guys ever heard of fasting from media? Anybody heard of that? A handful of you. Guess, guess where that isn't? In the Bible. Um, why? Because there was no media in the Bible, right? I'm not saying you shouldn't fast from all media, um, but the reality is when the Bible talks about fasting, it's talking mostly about food. That's at the top of the list. And then there's also sometimes you fast from any specific drink. Maybe you fast from sex. There's a specific place uh, for that in the Bible. And so when we think about fasting and we think about what Nehemiah did, Nehemiah fasted from food. He fasted from eating. He fasted from the thing you're thinking about most right now because it's 12.06. He fasted from food. And so a lot of times what we'll do is like, I'm going to fast from media or I'm going to fast from TV or I'm going to fast from social media or whatever. And we kind of replace that with fasting from food and we miss out on the power of God. So here's what happens. When you fast from food, what it says is, God, you are first. God, my yes is on the table. Because what's going to happen 
throughout your time of fasting is you're going to get hungry. And there are physical effects that you're going to feel when you get hungry. You're going to be hangry for one thing. You're going to be frustrated. Your stomach's going to growl. You're going to be reminded that you're doing without. But all you do when that happens, you just remind, yeah, food would be good, but I'm more focused on God. And so fasting is the way that Nehemiah just turned his attention and his affection all in for God. So over the course of this series, what we're going to do is um, so we're going to fast from food for the next nine weeks. <laughs> so now what I tell you is going to sound amazing, right? <laughs> so every Wednesday, every Wednesday. Now, I believe what Nehemiah did when he fasted, he fasted from sundown. To, I mean, excuse me, from sunup to sundown. It's like he didn't eat. He ate before the sun came up and ate after the sun went down. I believe that's the type of fast we generally see in the Old Testament. So what I'm going to say is every Wednesday have that type of fast. So here's what's cool about that. As you're doing that and you think about, well, yeah, you know what? I know my friend, my friend who goes to Stone Creek is doing that right now. And my, the person I know who's in group right now and the person I serve with in kids right now and the person that I give with right now, like they're all fasting. And just see what God will do. Number one, it's going to do something to you personally. And it's going to change some things in your life. It's going, to, it's going to develop some things in your life. It's going to unleash some power in your life. But also collectively, God just has a way of doing something miraculous and supernatural when God's people come together to fast for a certain period of time and pray. And I'm going to get to specific prayers in just a moment. Now, in verse 11, we see it says this, just kind of ends the chapter out. It says, the very last phrase says, now I was cupbearer to the king. I was cupbearer to the king. And I've already unpacked a little bit about what that means. But, but at the end of the day, this is just self-sacrifice. Nehemiah was putting his life on the line. And our first step to rebuilding or building is always going to be servanthood. And we see this in the life of Jesus. We see it in the life of the great heroes of the faith. The first step is always going to be servanthood. Listen, when you learn to carry a cup, God will show you how to rebuild a kingdom. And Nehemiah just accepted the place where he was. And he didn't look around and say, oh, I don't have, I don't have this influence or I don't have this power. I don't have this uh, group of friends. Nehemiah just took what he had. And he didn't have a scarcity mentality, but he had a sacrificial mentality. He didn't look at what he didn't have. He looked at what he could just leave all on the table for the kingdom of God. And this is why Nehemiah is one of the great leaders of the Bible you know, we see this in the life of Jesus, that, that he always would take the things that were really small and multiply them. You guys remember when he took a Lunchable and fed 15,000 people? Remember this story? So cool that Jesus is preaching, and it's like an all-day affair. And so he preaches all day, and they, they don't eat. There may have been water, but they don't eat. Like, can you imagine that? Like, it's rough for an hour. Like, can you imagine all day in the sun? He gets to the end of the day, and it says Jesus had compassion on them. His heart was broken for them, just like Nehemiah's heart was. And he says, told his 12 disciples, hey, you go feed these people. And they're like, God, we don't, we don't have enough. And he says, what do you have? And this little boy walks up with five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, give it to him. And he begins to break it and break it and distribute it. And 15,000 people eat. And they gather 12 baskets full. Who, who do you think got the 12 basket full? The unbelieving disciples? No, man, I think that little boy went home with all 12. He got to see the miracle. Man, that little boy, he saw what he gave Jesus, and he saw what Jesus did with it. Man, and this is the dignity we get as humans. Man, we get to carry a cup that looks like nothing, that looks like nobody cares, and God multiplies it, changes it into, into something special 
and he builds something out of what was broken. Hey, what cup do you need to carry? Like what seems too small for you? What seems unseen that you don't want to get into? Like what, what cup do you need to carry today? Until we realize where we are is where God placed us, we won't lean into his power to help us. You know, God's put you in your family. God's put you in your job. Man, God's put you in your neighborhood. God's put you in your friend group. And not just to be comfortable. Because what can happen is our dedication to our comfort can leave people crippled spiritually. Man, he's put you there because he wants to do a great work through you. You're doing a great work and you can't come down. And I want to talk about some ways that over the next nine weeks we're going to pray together. You know, as I said, one brick by itself is just a weapon or a doorstop or a paperweight. But man, when, when you have them all together and you begin to build something with them, it, it creates something powerful. So we just want to take these bricks and use them as just a prayer prompt. Man, just to, and so we're going to have some time in just a minute. I'm going to read a story that's just amazing, and then we're going to worship. I'm going to ask you to come and grab a brick from the front, and you've got pens in your seat. I'm going to ask you to write a prayer right across the face of this brick. And you may not know what you're writing. I just want to walk through five prayers that we can pray as a church together. You know, the first one, the first prayer that we want to pray together is just to get a glimpse of God's glory. Man, that, that we would pray that we would just be a church that's focused and obsessed with the greatness of God. And that it would just begin to grow in our lives and we'd be able to see him do things that brought him glory. And so what you would write, if that's the one you would write on, you would just write down a glimpse of glory. Online, I know you may not have a brick, um, but my neighborhood's under construction. You can come take one uh, from my neighborhood. Uh, or you can grab a piece of paper or you can go to Home Depot and buy a brick and write this on there, but write a glimpse of the glory of God. Number two is just day by day. And we would just dream that God would just add to our number day by day, that we'd see 365 people get baptized over the course of a year. And that we'd see, we would see so many people become to find life in Jesus, to move from darkness to life, from death to life. So maybe for you, that one just kind of hits your heart and you just would write on your brick day by day. You know, the third one would just be a kingdom culture. And that we would just be a people that we just begin to experience more Bible reading and more next-gen uh, students come to know Jesus. We would see more people get equipped, that we wouldn't be a church just for entertainment, but equipping. And so maybe for you, that's what you want to write is kingdom culture on there. You know, the fourth one is five and five. As you know from beyond, one of the things we want to do is to plant five campuses in five years. And we had this dream even before COVID. And even though things have gotten a little bit difficult and, and changed, we don't believe God's released us from this dream yet. So you may want to just put that on your brick five and five, that we would have five Jesus-centered, discipleship-driven, transformation-focused churches in five years. We've already launched Sandy Springs. We've already launched in Nicaragua, and we believe God's up to something special in some other areas. So maybe that's what you want to pray for. Hey, and the last one is just sacrificial generosity. Sacrificial generosity. You know, we, we, our building, we've paid a lot of it down. We still owe about $3.8 million on it. And we know that, man, if God could just release the money from that debt, how much more we could mobilize generational impact if we were able to do that. So I just invite you, if that's, that'd be something that you would pray for, I would just have you write sacrificial generosity on your brick. And then this is what we're going to do. We're going to take these home. And you're going to put it in your car or on your nightstand or on your sink when you brush your teeth so that every single day you'll be reminded that you are doing a great work and can't come down.
You'll be reminded of your work, but guess what? Every time you see that, you'll know that there are literally hundreds of people praying these same prayers with you. And that we are building something, uh, building a kingdom culture that God's going to use for generations to come. Man, I want to just close out my time by just reading a, a story that someone emailed me. If you ever have a story, please feel free to send it in. But it's a story of how God rebuilt a family. And, and I hope that you just catch a picture of what God wants to do, maybe in your family, but maybe what God wants to do through you today. Uh, a, a, a man wrote this to me. He said, Stone Creek has truly become a sanctuary for our family over the past year. You have built a special place of life change and hope. Our story starts back in 2011 when we met in college at the University of Georgia. She had this glow about her that was just beautiful. And the only thing I could muster up was, can I have your notes? I won't be in class much. Real Casanova there. Eventually, we started dating, and all within the same three-day period, we found out we were pregnant, and I was being transferred to Dallas, Texas for work. For me, the decision was easy. Let's get married and start our life together. But this had no foundation in the Lord. We were highly competitive drivers and didn't understand how to embrace each other and create a life together. To expand on Jesus' metaphor of where to build your house, ours may as well have been built on dynamite because an explosion was coming. My wife struggled with depression, and I was too naive to see it. I failed as a husband to protect and to give her comfort, and she was in desperate need to know she was safe and loved. We tried to mask our insecurities with worldly comforts, shopping for her and me building a, a facade of a successful business life. We were broken, lost, and without God. Looking back, we were broken down to our rawest forms, but it would take years to get there. A couple more years, and we were pregnant again with our second child in desperate need of some help. We decided to move back to Georgia to be near friends and family. Only the help that we needed was not of this world, but of God's hand. We never asked him for help. Instead, we continued our same existence of trying to get to the next thing to make us happy and whole. If we could only get a house and get stable, things would be better. We used to both repeat that lie over and over in hopes that it would be true, but it wasn't. Eventually, after things were completely broken, we met in the driveway of a co-worker's house to finalize our divorce papers. Years of pain, torment, and anguish had led us both to our lowest points, and we were broken. I completely immersed myself in work. I was desperately attempting to fill a hole with some sort of success. And in my eyes and in my perception of the eyes of God, I had failed. Therefore, I did the only thing I could think of, and I just worked. The first weekend that Stone Creek opened up for in-person services again in a post-COVID world, my now ex-wife took the boys to church without me. I will never forget the stomach turn I felt when she told me that she took the boys to church on that first Sunday back. Of all things, pride brought me back to church. Pride that I would not let her show me up and take our boys to church without me. God had me right where he wanted with nowhere else to turn. Week two at church, I sat alone and some man, I sat alone crying and some man put his arm around me and whispered that it would be okay. At least I think that's what happened. To this day, I can't find him. I'm not even sure I'd recognize him through the tears, but that man or that moment changed my life. After 31 years, I had finally been stripped of all that kept me from God. I gave my life to him and chose to sit with my ex-wife at church from there on out. And our bond only began to grow. We began seeing a Christian counselor and making church a priority. Makes me laugh to think, but from separate homes with no pushing or prodding, we managed to show up to church on time and more regularly than we could ever done together. 
Slowly but surely, God rebuilt what was lost. In February, she let me baptize her. It was the greatest moment of my life. We had reached our mountaintop together. It really is beyond my words to explain. We have since rebuilt our family and are doing life together full time under one roof. We have no idea what God has in store for us, but can only hope for another day together to glorify him. Each day is not perfect. We have our ups and downs, but we always come together knowing God heals all. Stone Creek changed our life. It's a place of change, love, reconciliation, and rebuilding. Without Stone Creek, all would have been lost, but what, what God is doing here has made all the difference in the world. That's you guys. So we're just getting started. Man, there's more lives to be changed, more families to be rescued, more students to be given hope. It's going to take all of us. So as we worship, again, the five prayer needs will be on your, quickly on your screen. Number one is just a glimpse of glory. Just write that on your brick. Day by day, kingdom culture, five in five, or sacrificial generosity. Let's pray together. God, man, you've done some work here. And this summer has just been unprecedented, God. I'm just grateful for the reminder that you're still in the building business, the rebuilding business. God, you're changing people. And God, that you're just worthy of glory because of your goodness. And Lord, I just pray for those here who just feel like they're the ones who need rebuilding. Their marriage needs rebuilding. Their identity needs rebuilding. God, they've just believed so many lies for so long and chased the wrong things. Their definition of success needs rebuilding, God. I pray that this will be a place where it just continues to happen. God, that your spirit would just continue to change people, that you do something that we can't explain, that we can't program, that we still don't really quite understand exactly what the strategy was to make it happen, God. But we just point all eyes towards you. And God, I pray for this next season as we just pray and fast. God, as we work and dream, as we question, Lord, you just be in the middle of all that. And just show, show yourself mighty. God, we're the remnant. Lord, we know that in a world that's still in chaos, a world that's reeling from what's just happened, God, we have the anchor, the protection, the peace. And that's the kingdom. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.